0: less than 24 hours, Georgians will be under a shelter-in-place order. McDonald, though, said he did not know the man was handcuffed and was trying to use his foot to pin him to the ground so he could be handcuffed. If your
1: friends, neighbors, or local organizations are not complying, report them to us.
0: Hello and welcome to the Free Georgia Podcast. My name is Jake Green, and today I'm joined by Martin Cohen um martin welcome to the podcast
1: thank you so much martin cowan
0: cowan i always do that i do that almost every time (laughs) no worries i think of uh whenever i see a name that looks like yours i think of the cohen brothers every single time (laughs) but it's cowan
1: (laughs) wonderful wonderful producers
0: well martin um tell us tell us a little bit about yourself and uh what you're doing here today
1: well, I'm 70 years old and I have been studying freedom for 50 years. Uh, freedom is the protection of private property by the rule of law. And uh, this is totally consistent with the uh, general principles of the Libertarian Party, of which I'm a member, uh, a very proud member, in fact. Uh, I, many people will know that I attended the, the, anybody who's heard me talk before will know that I attended the 1972. Oh my god Uh, (laughs) libertarian party convention for the state of georgia it was uh, located in the americana hotel when that hotel was located on peachtree uh, street just north of where the symphony and stuff uh, is it's no longer in that location if there's still an americana hotel in atlanta so i've been around quite a long time and and i'm very proud to uh, be particularly active in the party now
0: nice and uh you're running for attorney general is that correct
1: I am, and uh, it's and it, it, it's a very interesting, I'd love to be running for this office. Uh, as your viewers may know, I ran for Congress in nineteen and 2018 and 2020, um, but there's really very little traction there for me. I, even if I got into the office of Congress, all you could do, uh, which Ron Paul famously did, was to educate the public, and while educating the public is our main task, uh, To be the attorney general will really be, uh, uh, you know, I can really do stuff as an attorney general far beyond educating people, although one of my main functions will be to try to educate legislators uh, into the uh, nuance of private property so that they don't constantly violate our rights.
0: (laughs) That's what we like to hear. Um, How long have you been practicing in Georgia?
1: I was admitted to the practice of law in 1975. So what does that up to? It's 47 years. Oh, my God. A lawyer for 47 years. Um, And a lot of that time, I was a criminal defense lawyer, a divorce lawyer. Uh, I did uh, a lot of probate work. And in fact, because of my probate work, I was appointed a um, uh, associate probate judge of Clayton County. And I held that position until December of 19, uh, 2005. Uh, 2015, and I, I resigned from that position and basically retired. I mean, I had a you know little bit of cases here and there, and that's true even now. But I at as soon as I resigned from being a judge, then I was free to do politics because you can't do a ju- uh, politics in Georgia as a judge. And so I immediately went to the um, you know, Libertarian Party of Georgia and attended a convention. And honestly, I'm not sure that I attended a convention before that since 1972. I mean, I'd been a member on and off, and I'd had and I'd run and been a an officer in a local, um, in the Clayton County affiliate of, of the uh, Libertarian Party, which doesn't exist anymore. But I, I had done that. Uh, so anyway, I I I went to the uh, convention, and I ran for uh, the executive committee. And of course, nobody knew me at that time, and I didn't win but but this is a key i went to, i went to the first meeting of the executive committee after the convention and I, and you know people don't show up the guy that i don't know if it was the guy who beat me in the election didn't show up but somebody didn't show up and so i was immediately appointed to the executive committee of the Libertarian party of georgia and i've been very heavily involved since then
0: that sounds about right for the Libertarian Party. <laughs> how well, many?
1: It's true of all volunteer organizations. Well, I mean, I've, yeah. I've been a member of a number of volunteer organizations, and I, I love the saying: "There's always room at the top of a volunteer organization." And uh, you know, as we talk, uh, we'll get into some other things because I, I'm really quite near the top now. I'll <laughs> tell you about that shortly, I suppose.
0: So how how was? that 1972 convention compared to the most recent one this this year
1: well um there was to to call the libertarian party eclectic is an understatement we've always had uh very odd people and i don't say that i'm not odd you know we've (laughs) always had people that are dressed funny people that have weird ideas and uh and boy, the, you know, the, I'm not even going to say the weird ideas that were present at that convention because I don't want to embarrass the party. But, um, <laughs> you know, there were some very weird, odd people uh, that showed up. There are, of course, people like me, too, who are not quite that odd. But um, it was very, very um, bizarre. And I, frankly, have always enjoyed that aspect of the Libertarian Party. Um, and I, I, I'm not objecting to it. Uh, but there is a trend now, and this is largely driven by the Mises Caucus to, for us to try to get serious. And so we're gonna do away with costumes and we're gonna do away with clowns and we're gonna do away with uh, you know fringe characters. And it's not because we don't like clowns, we don't like fringe characters, uh, but you cannot run a country. You cannot be the governor of the state of Georgia or the attorney general of Georgia in a clown suit. You have to be a serious person and I think I myself am a very serious person, and the party largely is loaded with serious people now. And I have to say, it's probably due to the credit of the Mises Caucus.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. And you're you're not kidding about uh, some interesting and odd characters. I went to the national convention this year, and uh, yeah, it was. It was very colorful.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I was there, too, and uh, to be honest with you, this was not nearly as colorful as, as many in the past. I mean, I attended the, I don't know when it was, maybe 2018, when um, John McAfee was there running for president. Mm-hmm. Of course, now he's dead, tragically. I mean, he yeah, who yeah. knows who knows what happened to him in Spain, in the prison in Spain, but you know, his body still hasn't been released. But he was, boy, was he a colorful character. And he had a lovely wife. And he probably spent a $100,000 on that convention showing us a good time. And we had dancers and, you know, clowns and people on on uh, stilts. And I mean, he it was such a show because of him. Um, it was really, really great. So he was quite a character. But um, he's not the kind of person that uh, we need to have leading the party. Now, I frankly admit that I voted for him as a presidential candidate back then, Um, and uh, so did our whole delegation, the Georgia delegation voted, you know, our majority went for uh, John McAfee, but, you know, I think the party, the Libertarian Party, has grown beyond uh, characters like John McAfee, rest his soul. I mean, he was a a very nice man, and I'm not saying anything bad against him, but to be the leader... (laughs) of this, of the United States, the president of the United States, you have to be a very serious person to be the leader of this party. That is the libertarian party. You have to be, we have to become more serious people and that's happening. And that's happening. I'm very proud of that fact.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a, there's definitely like a fine line to walk because, you know, the libertarian party is all about individuality and being your own person and taking responsibility for yourself. But, um, there is some, there is a point where being too individualistic (laughs) gets in the way of actually running for an office or, you know, being in charge of anything where people will actually take you seriously. So I think it's good that, uh, Mises Caucus has gotten so many folks involved who are serious about getting things done and doing things in a way that will impact people outside of the LP. Um, and yeah, I think it's been I think it's been a great couple of years for the Mises well, Caucus. You well, know, the simple
1: truth is, you know, you have to ha- you have to wear the uniform. Mm. <laughs> and, and, you know, here I am I'm wearing a nice you know a nice button down college shirt, mm-hmm. uh, which you know I don't wear normally during the day. But um, you know, I want to make a good impression to your viewers and show that I'm a serious person. And we have to do that, and we're doing that. We are doing that nationwide, largely because I think the Mises Caucus influence. And we don't have the people, many of whom I love, who are literally clowns. I and mean, I like clowns. I'm <laughs> not saying anything, you know, I'm not saying any fundamental moral thing about them. I'm just saying the face we have to put forward uh, as a libertarian, as the libertarian party has to be a serious face, you know, and me, you know, I, I, I'm I, I'm not, I'm literally the, the. I've been around the party longer than anybody in Georgia. And uh one of the top three i think in the entire country i'm in mean, a very very uh, long history with the party and i think there's only two other ones who are founders uh, mm-hmm. of the party who uh, and one of them showed up i think in um, uh in reno when we were there at the convention most recently all right and so so there's one other guy at least one other guy who's been around as been around and involved as long as i have so
0: yeah
1: I like to think of myself as the senior statesman, so to speak.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair at this point. <laughs> um, so Martin, what made you want to run for attorney general over anything else that's um, up for grabs this, this year? Well,
1: I ran in 2018 and 2020 for Congress, and I was very interested in ballot access back then, and I still am, and I'm still the the plaintiff in a major federal lawsuit, which will go to the Supreme Court of the United States um, shortly. I mean, we're going to file a petition for certiorari probably in August. Uh, And it's Martin Cowan versus the Secretary of State. And so I'm very interested in ballot access. uh, And that's the context in which I was running for Congress. You know, I had to get signatures and um, we had two wins and two losses on that. And the most recent thing was a loss, which is unfortunate. And the loss created the necessity for me to get 27,000 signatures. Jeez. And so I thought, you know, I, I'll come back to this after we win the case in the Supreme Court. But I've always thought that the running for attorney general was perfect. I mean, there's not that many lawyers in the party. I don't, you know, there might, there's mm. probably less than five. I'm not, there got to be more than that. But I, I can only think of five-ish yeah. lawyers. And you have to be a lawyer. And you have to be a practicing lawyer. You have to be, in a you know, a, with the bar, active member of the bar mm-hmm. at the time you're doing it, and for a number of years beforehand, seven, I've got forty seven years, so i'm <laughs> I'm well qualified, shall we say? And so and, and you know, plus, I have a lot of there's a lot of traction there for me personally hmm. because um, there are issues that I care about, um, which are more mere more than mere educating the public. I have uh, connections with the bar. For example, I'm a member of the uh, Uh, Board of Governors of the State Bar of Georgia, which is like the governing body, you know, it's like the Executive Committee of the Libertarian Party of Georgia, but it's a government body which uh, governs the law, governs all the lawyers, 50,000 plus in Georgia. And I've been a member of that group for, I don't know, decades, I think, I don't know the count, but at least 20 years, I think. And so I, you know, those people know me, and I have fought for freedom with those people um, in, in in many contexts, Mo- every single one of them has gotten maybe six letters from me on subjects over the years where I'm fighting for their freedom and mine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then the, another group of which I am a member, of, I'm a member of that group now, and another group of which I'm a member is the Georgia Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, and I was a vice president of that group one time, you know, 20 years ago or more. Uh, but i've been a member of that i think since its inception and so uh, i know mean, that may be that may be 30 decades i mean 30 yeah, you know, three decades 30 years of membership i'm not 100 percent sure of my time and their records were destroyed so we don't know exactly how long i've been there but i've been there a long time and there are thousands of lawyers there all of whom will be thinking exactly like me and w- who relate to me and my in my message and so, and that's a statewide group, just as the as the um, as the uh, board of governors is a statewide group, and so attorney general is a statewide position. And I have written letters to all of the board of governors, and I am in the process of writing letters to all of the uh, members of the Georgia Association of Home Defense Lawyers. And I, I would expect every this is a way overstatement. <laughs> I would expect every one of those guys and gals to vote for me, for gosh sakes.
0: All right, well. I mean, it sounds like you're definitely putting in the time and the work for it, um, and definitely more than qualified. (laughs) Um, Can we talk a little bit about who you're running
1: against? Um, Sure. I mean, uh, one of the things that's funny to me is that they're both graduates of the University of Georgia. Now, I'm what's called a double dog. That means that I went to got an undergraduate degree from law from Georgia, University of Georgia, and I got a law degree. And so that means I'm a double dog. I don't know if those two people are double dogs. I know they both graduated from the University of Georgia Law School around 2000. Um, frankly, I'm old enough to be both of their parents. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, it's really interesting to to uh, be with uh, in the, in a race with these two people. One is Senator Jordan Jen Jordan. The yeah. other one's Will, Will uh, William Carr.
0: Yeah, Chris Chris Carr um and yeah, chris jordan yeah chris carr is the incumbent right
1: yeah. right and uh you know i've had the op- i've been called upon to comment upon various things uh with respect to both of them and i pride myself on trying to be nice you know that I, <laughs> my comments have generally been uh nice comments for example chris carr was accused well i don't he wasn't accused but apparently the pharmaceutical company gave him a maximum contribution mm. And they called me to comment on that. And I said, you know, I don't, I, this guy went to the University of Georgia. He, he's an ethical person. He's a professional person. I have no doubt that, you know, this contribution by the pharmaceutical companies in the maximum amount influenced any of his decisions. And I I don't think that was the case, but I was proud to be able to say something positive, you know, because there's so much negativity in the world. And then just the other day, uh, Senator Jordan had to pay a fine for, failing to file a proper form or some. How many,
0: how many fines have you had to pay?
1: None. (laughs) Knock on wood, knock on wood, buddy. (laughs) Who knows? You know, never know what'll happen. But anyway, my comment about that was she, she and I had to file a form and, you know, I worked for days, maybe weeks on the form, trying to get it right. It was hard. It was not an easy form. And I've been a lawyer for 47 years, filling out forms for my entire life. And, you know, she screwed up somehow and, and he, she had to pay a fine. And so my comment was, I only thing I have for her is sympathy. That was a nightmare form. I'm glad she was able to resolve it with a, you know, a little fine and and that
0: What what kind of form is this? Like why is it so difficult? You
1: have to every detail of your life for the last 5 years, basically.
0: Goodness gracious. So they don't they don't make it easy.
1: Oh no. And, and it's, you know, it's just it was very complicated. And I was brand new form too. And one of the things the paper pointed out was as a senator she had voted for this new form you know and then she herself screws it up Uh, you know i have sympathy for that i i I think it was inappropriate to vote for it for sure because it's way too you know intrusive but Mm. you know i did my best and i think i filled it out correctly but i totally have sympathy for someone who screws up even though they voted for the stupid thing um (laughs) But, you know, another another really interesting thing about these two people, as I say, they're both Georgia Bulldogs, both graduated from the University of Law School, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very proud of my own Georgia Bulldog degrees. But I saw in the paper the other day that they both had received 600 in the neighborhood of $600,000 each Jeez. in contributions during the most recent reporting period. I mean, that's a three month period. I, I haven't looked lately to see what the total contributions there are. But both of them got in the neighborhood of $600,000. And I'm just, and, I, and I'm just saying, what what, are these, what do these people think they're paying for? I mean, they're, they're just lawyers and they're going to run a law office. What are they paying for? And I don't think, I don't, I do not think that these people are going to be misbehaving because of the campaign contributions. So I'm not mm. saying that. I'm not saying that. And I don't think, and I think people ought to be able to you know, support their candidates as they see fit. So as a matter of free speech. So I'm not saying that. I'm just wondering as a citizen, why are $600,000 each going to these people in a three month period? Mm. And I think I know the answer. I think I know the answer to that. It has nothing to do with their ethics. What it has to do with is the fact that our governments are run, are owned and operated by corporations. So you know we have big ph- we have pharmaceutical companies we have the military industrial complex we have the healthcare industry um big tech big tech we have far the farmers all of these big big organizations big groups of of wealthy people want to make sure that uh they get the government they pay for and they're not and, they're, and so they're picking people who are true believers that's the word right mm. these are true believers in this system uh, uh of government by corporation now they don't think of it in those terms i'm not saying they they realize that they're working for the pharmaceutical companies i'm not saying right. they're doing that they have bought they have swallowed the propaganda they believe that whatever it is they're doing is good for people Mm-hmm. And they are true believers, and so you've got to pay for that. You've got to make sure the true believers get in, and so that's why, you know, six hundred thousand dollars of contributions are going to both sides of each going, but each each side of this thing in the in the la, in the last three months, because they want the a true believer to be in there, and that's that's what it's about.
0: That's interesting. So, man, that's interesting. Yeah. So it sounds like we're kind of, or I guess generally not you and I, but, uh, Republicans and Democrats are kind of conditioned from when we're younger to, to think government's a good thing and want to, want to get involved and kind of be a part of our parties. Um, and whatever that party is, is, uh, preaching is what we're about at that time. Um, and so, yeah, that makes complete sense that they, that even though they may not feel like they're, you know, in the pocket of some, of some corporation or whatever. Um, it makes well, sense. Yeah. That they Here's a good would, example. Here's a good yeah.
1: example. The, the secretary of state of Georgia, I think has like 40 licensing, you know, boards. Um, you know, so if you're a lactation specialist, that is you want to give advice on how to breastfeed, right. That's mm-hmm. a lactation specialist, you have to have a license issue issued by the secretary of state, you know, and there's requirements and, and all this stuff. And they've got 40 of those. Mm. I think there are probably a lot of other licensing things going on there. But, and my guess would be that my opponents think that those licensing boards somehow help people, that is help customers. Mm. That's the propaganda. You know, we need to make sure that those those hair braiders, I'm not sure we have a hair braider license. I know there's, in some states, you do have to have a license to braid hair.
0: I I think Um, we might need that hair. I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, they you know, they think that's somehow good and justified. So that's the propaganda that that we need to have licenses to protect the people from people who don't know what they're doing. Mm. But the truth is is that all of every one of those licenses has one purpose and one purpose alone and that is to reduce competition uh for the people who are already in place they don't they don't want to have to reduce their prices because you know hundreds of new uh, lactation specialists comes on the scene mm. they want to main, maintain the prices at a high level so that's true of all those licensing boards but it's even more true um in in, in the specific area of healthcare. people are horrified as am i about the cost of health care um, and it's only high Precisely because the government regulates it and licenses it so harshly,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, in the
1: absence of government regulation and government licensing, most procedures would be the price of a McDonald's Happy Meal. (laughs) One of my favorite examples is you think about strep throat, knock on wood, I haven't had strep throat very much, but you can buy a a strep throat test kit uh, on the internet for less than a penny. I mean, because you can buy a hundred of them for five bucks. Then, you know, if you have strep throat, you you, know, you could get a shot of penicillin, which is a one dose thing, which, you know, penicillin is way out of patent and it's cheap. I mean, I, I don't know that you can literally buy a $5 shot of penicillin, but there's no reason why you couldn't in the absence of government regulation. Right. And then, and then strep throat. I'm not, give, not giving medical advice here. I'm just giving a political <laughs> example. You know, then, you know, in a day, in a day, strep throat is wiped out by penicillin. so that's five dollars that's a happy meal to fix you know not a not a not a pleasant sickness yeah but you know if you do that through insurance and i've actually looked this up it costs up close to two hundred dollars to deal with strep throat you know because you have to make an appointment down the road you know you have to pay co-pays the insurance company pays something then you have to pay for a medication which is going to be priced sky high and not merely five dollars and it ends up costing on average according to my research know, within the last five years, about $200. But that's true across all medical services provided. I mean, we are so, I mean, ruined by government in the field of uh, of healthcare, because it's all they want to do is protect the wealthy constituencies to make sure they continue to make lots and lots of money. It's just, it's just a tragedy.
0: That is a tragedy. Like $200 might not sound like a ton to a lot of people, but I remember when I was, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, um, $200 is basically paying rent or not paying rent. And that's just for one, you know, little sickness, that's going to knock you out for a few days. So like, and it, that's only one instance of it. There's countless others. Yeah, um, there's
1: one, one other zone, which I uh, would always like to mention if you don't mind, and that is the, uh, mm-hmm. what's called the certificate of need, a certificate of need law. And I think 30 States have these things and we have it in Georgia. If a large investor wants to create a new hospital or a new medical facility uh, over a certain threshold amount, maybe $250,000 or something like that, he can't just inv- you know, invest the money. He has to file a request with the government to get a certificate of need that this new MRI machine is needed in Jonesboro, Clayton County, Georgia, which is where I live. Um, and that's solely, solely to stop competition. And it's in an area where, I mean, we have suffered from bad healthcare for the last two years from COVID, and allegedly we're worried about hospital space. And yet we have laws in place to stop people from making new hospital beds in the absence of permission. And they wouldn't get permission if they, you know, in a general case. So, you know, the certificate of need laws is a very, very good example, but a very, very bad case of restricting the freedom of people to you know, enter into businesses and provide services to the customers.
0: Seriously, that is crazy. Um, how would you, how'd you get the word out? Because like, like some of these subjects are super detailed and intricate. Like how, how do you get the word out on some of these things and make it like uh, palatable for, for the everyday person?
1: You know, doing what we're doing right now is the only way I know how, you know, we, I have been invited to, to, uh, candidate forums where I'll appear with both of the candidates. I actually was invited to one, uh, but the thing was canceled because nobody else said they show up. I was going to be <laughs> the only candidate. But I'm I'm guessing that the League of Women Voters, which is happening in August, and then the Atlanta Press Club, which I think is happening in October, will be attended by one or more of my opponents. And so I'll have an opportunity there to talk about this kind of stuff. But geez, I mean, it's it's a nightmare. People are so misled. I mean, it's just... It's so sad because people, you know, think that the government's on their side and trying to do something for them. And that's almost never the case. Almost never the case.
0: Yeah. Um, What separates you from, aside from much more experience, from your uh, competitors?
1: Well, um, you know, as I said, to begin with, uh, you know, I believe in freedom. I believe that private property protected by the rule of law is the key, and that applies you know, to every single thing that I'm, I'm interested in. Um, You know, there, there's probably no issue. (laughs) Well, that's not going to be literally true, but there's very few issues um, that, that we will agree upon. That is me and my opponents. Um, So, but, but I'm going to have a pro I will have a problem when I'm elected. And that problem is going to be that I have, you know, my obligation is to enforce laws. Right. And so what I'm going to have to use is prosecutorial discretion to focus my attention on things which I think are, you know, important and ignore things which I don't think are important. So, for example, in the case of the lactation specialist, our attorney general just lost a case in the Fulton County Superior Court within the last three months where the uh, trial judge said it's unconstitutional. I mean, if there's something wrong. I don't remember the details of it, but there was something wrong with the lactation license. And he said it as- you know, reversed it, saying you can't license lactation specialists. Now, of course, the attorney general will appeal that and who knows what will happen on appeal. But my point is this, is that there will be a lot of laws like that, which somebody will call upon me to enforce. And I'll say, I'm going to use my prosecutorial discretion to do something else. And so, um, you know, the, the question becomes, what am I going to do? Uh, that's, uh, that's more interesting, or more important, let's say more important. So, you know, the, the, one of the things that are talked that the current attorney general does worry about are, um, the kidnapping of people and, you know, taking them away, you know, Mm -hmm. what do you call it child? Human trafficking is the phrase. They actually have an office up there dealing with that, but I have two specific ideas about human trafficking that I, um, would like to implement when I become the attorney general. Number one. Is that I would set up uh, secure kiosks in the airport at those transportation spots, like mm-hmm. where A, you know, the, A is there, and then you have the transportation cross, and there's a big, big crossroads right there. If you have a kiosk in the middle that's enclosed, so people, so it's you can't see who's been talking to, uh, which says, you know, we're interested in human trafficking. Report instances here, you know, uh, in and. D- with with sufficient funds, we can have that on every single concourse. We could have it in bus stations, we could have it in train stations, you know, where we have trained people at these locations looking for human trafficking, actually looking at the people and saying, "Uh, is there something wrong with that situation? Or when people come and say, I'm worried about this or that situation. And then not only that, but then have the resources to follow up. You know, obviously you can't determine every case initially, but you could follow the persons, you'd get in the airplane with them and make sure that when they land, they take the child to her parent or whatever, uh, rather than taking her to, um, you know, a house of prostitution or whatever bad mm-hmm. thing might be happening. So anyway, I think it could really get on top of child trafficking uh, in that way. Another idea that occurred to me is that, you know, we uh, we get these uh, Amber Alerts now and then, right, on our phones. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't see any reason why You know, at the the second there's an Amber Alert that, you know, the attorney general's office doesn't call up the local jurisdiction where that's happening and make sure that an investigator is within minutes at the house of the person who's put out an Amber Alert Mm. asking that person who took this child, where do you think they're going, Um, and then putting planes in the air, putting helicopters in the air. Uh, going to the possible destinations with police, you know, and doing that within hours. And there's no reason why that couldn't be done. It requires a commitment of manpower. But sure as heck, that's more important than worrying about a lactation specialist <laughs> in Fulton County. You know, and so, you know, there are a whole bunch of things that we could do, um, you know, spectacular things. Those would be spectacular things that would have great outcomes.
0: hmm you know?
1: And so that that's the kind of thing that would interest me to have to really go after the crimes that have victims and really uh, hit hard at those things.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I know a couple of people who have been on some some raids uh, for with the like FBI and all that for human trafficking here in here in Georgia. Um, isn't is, isn't human trafficking in, in Atlanta one of the isn't Atlanta one of the worst places for human trafficking in, in the U.S.?
1: You know, I've heard that. I have actually heard that and um, you know, that makes some sense because we're such a transportation hub. Yeah. Yeah. And plus we maybe uh, we we're not uh spending enough time and resources on it. I mean, that's a perfect that's a really good example of something where you can talk about it and you don't have to do anything and you get brownie points just for talking about it. But I my proposal would be we actually do something about it and let the hair braiders go.
0: <laughs> well, I would I would agree with that. Um Let's see. You know, no, go I for it. I wanted to mention
1: another issue. Um, you know, we, uh, I saw a report today that Uvalde, is that how we pronounce that word, Uvalde, Texas?
0: Well, uh, being from Texas, we always pronounce it Uvalde, but uh, I'm pretty sure I've heard every single variation at this point. So I, I... like Uvalde better.
1: So <laughs> Uvalde, Texas, they had a report today that almost 400 law enforcement officers were on that scene before they invaded 400. I mean, this 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 is a real really big black eye um, for law enforcement. Uh, wow. Probably a black eye they deserve. Uh, but you know, I'm rec- I'm recalling um, the incident in was it Parkland, Florida? You know, four years, five years ago, where there was an invasion by a single kid mm-hmm. into the school and they killed they killed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But the uh, school resource officer hit under the desk. And, uh, he did, you know, he didn't behave right. I don't, I don't know that he hid under the desk, but he, he didn't, right. he didn't behave correctly. And I saw a story, you know, this year about his prosecution for that. Now you know, it is so funny. It's well, funny is the wrong word. It's so odd. That here mm-hmm. we have one guy, one guy who failed to, you know, inter, intercede, and he should have. I'm not saying he shouldn't have. But then we have almost 400 officers who do the same thing in Uvalde, is that right? Uvalde, Texas. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have a lot of time as yet, and not much time has passed yet. I wouldn't be surprised to see prosecutions like those that we have in Florida right now for that one one man. Um, you know, it's just shocking to me that, I mean, police officers have great press, generally speaking. But, mm. you know, boy, oh boy, these two instances are, are horrible. And then on the other yeah. side of the coin, where, you know, do, doing too, doing too little is doing too much. And one of my uh, one of my campaign stories is the story about Habersham um, County. Some years ago, there was a uh, the police officers got a no knock warrant. And uh, they tossed a flashbang grenade in the front door, and it went into the baby's crib and burned his face badly and uh then they went in there and there was no arrest there were no drugs there was no money it was just it was the right it was the house that they were seeking but you know this baby was i say blown up he was just burned badly which you know it's just a horror it's an absolute horror and uh, there was a settlement uh, i don't remember the date on it but i did see a story that the case was ultimately or recently settled for about three million dollars for that baby uh, having been burned so badly but this, this kind of this kind of cowboy crap, you know, just has got to stop. So, you know, I would really be intolerant of no-knock warrants in, in Georgia. And uh, I, I, you know, I, you know, I, I'm not, I will not be, you know, the king of the world when I become the attorney general. But I sure can put my finger on the scales and say, look, you guys, if you do this and you hurt somebody, you're, I'm not going to be your friend. I'm going to be looking on how to prosecute you for blowing up a child. Mm. um so and in fact one of those one of those officers was prosecuted for something but he was acquitted as they you know because police officers have good pr but um man know. so there's a lot of bad things that the attorney general can put his finger on the uh, scales of mm-hmm. to help make better
0: i got you um for those who don't know can you just give like a description of what the attorney general does in georgia
1: Sure. I mean, the the, it's, the attorney general's office, the you know, the Georgia Law Department is 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 a law is simply a law office for the state of Georgia. So you know, like Coca-Cola, you know, has various law firms all around the country. Mm-hmm. The state of Georgia has a law firm which is uh, headed by the attorney general, and the the office is called the Law Office of of the, the State of Georgia, the Law Department, and we have 400 lawyers. And I don't know how much staff, but if you have 400 lawyers, you've got to have at least 400 staff you know, and investigators, and and uh, so they represent uh, the state when, for example, in Fulton County Superior Court, someone Susan says you you're not allowed to, you know, regulate lactation specialists, and so they represent those lawsuits. One of the, one of the weird things though about the attorney general's office is that they will hire sometimes out of you know off of, they will hire lawyers with with a budget for that purpose to represent the state when they don't feel they're competent to handle it Hmm. and one of those lawsuits and i need to find the actual name of the lawsuit because it's important um we we had a lawsuit some years ago that the attorney general's office settled which said basically we're going to do away with insane asylums, institutions for the housing of mentally ill people and i understand that the intention of that was good because I don't know if you remember Nurse Ratchet and um, in the movie uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. No. <laughs> this is a very famous movie, but anyway, it was just it was, it was a story about uh, a, a, an institution of mental uh, illness, and there there are monsters that ran the place and tortured the inmates, uh, and mm. tortured the people inside that were bad. And so it was mo- a movie like that, or, or stories like that, which resulted in this lawsuit against the state. To stop housing people in Milledgeville, for example we used to have a big mental institution in Milledgeville. but the result of that is that in counties all across georgia mentally ill people are are homeless or they're housed in the county jail for months and maybe years
0: mm.
1: waiting for a certification that they're competent to stand trial or you know waiting for the for the state people i don't know what they're called uh, uh, the people in Georgia who who actually check you out and make sure you're competent or not, but mm. the, you know it's a terrible, terrible problem in Georgia right now. That um, you know we have people that are housed because they're mentally ill and and living homeless because we're mentally ill. So the system is broken in that respect, in my opinion. Now a lot of people who love this system because they were so proud of the lawsuit and they thought they did something good, but mm-hmm. from my perspective, you have people you know, being you know lingering in in prison awaiting trial because they can't stand trial because they're crazy and you don't have any place to put them you know there's no facilities into which you can place these people right so I'd be very interested in, in looking at that but my point was that was handled by an out of out of office lawyer they hired you know some big law firm to handle that case for them and I don't think that worked out well for the state of Georgia or for the people of the state of Georgia
0: yeah so that i guess that brings up a question on my end if if the attorney general and that whole office is supposed to represent the state of Georgia. Let's go back to, to that example of, of them throwing the flashbang into the crib. Um, and that officer is technically a employee of the state of Georgia. How would, how would you go about that as the attorney general? How would you go about that case? Because if he's going to be sued, wouldn't you technically be defending him?
1: Yeah, and I think this is one of my biggest problems as attorney. When, when I become attorney general, I'm going to have to follow the law, and I will follow the law. Uh, and I'm going to have to do things which I find uh, distasteful. Hmm. And it may, but it may be that I say, oh, this is so distasteful, I have to recuse myself, and I give it to some outside lawyer on that budget I was talking about, that they can handle it for me. So this is one of those areas where I can put my thumb on the scales before it happens. So when I become the attorney general on day one, I'm going to write a letter to all the sheriffs and the, the captains of the police departments and the judges and say, look, I am not a friend of no-knock warrants. In fact, they're, they're illegal in Georgia under a, case, under a certain statute, but there are, you know, they, there's a judicially carved exception for that. Hmm. So I can put my finger on the, the thumb on the scales of that and say, look, if you do this, you don't have a friend in me. Um, plus, I can, you know, talk to the legislature about bolstering the existing law, which forbids no-knock warrants. It actually forbids it. But there's a case which said, oh, well, in some cases we can do it. But I think what we would do is just have a have a, the legislature modify the law and say, this exception, which was created by the Court of Appeals in, you know, whatever year it was, is out. There, there are no-knock warrants. Forget it. It's not a thing.
0: Hmm. It's
1: interesting. So you're you're, you're pro- you state the very good problem. Uh, I have to follow the law
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I will follow the law, but you know, it brings up, <laughs> it brings up another issue. I don't believe in the death penalty. Right. Okay. And, and the attorney general's office does represent the state in what's called habeas corpus cases, which are post-conviction efforts to get the death penalty guy out of prison. Mm. Now, I, you know, I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I've handled death penalty cases in my life. Fortunately, none of my clients were killed, right? Um, but that's not to say I don't think that some people should be executed by law, but it shouldn't be executed for what they've done. You know, I fully think that people do bad things so that are so bad that they ought to be executed for them. My position of, of no death penalty is this. The state is not competent. The state Mm. is not competent to decide who should live and who should die. They are stupid. (laughs) They are stupid. They make mistakes. Yeah. Um, You know, and so you know, the cases that I had to handle the death penalty for, you know, I I worked really really hard. I I worked for thousands of hours trying to make those things go well for my clients, and they did. Um, But not all lawyers are like that, and I'm not saying that those cases which have death penalty administered or had bad lawyers i'm not saying that because they very often have really great lawyers who are dedicated and they just lose the case and the death penalty is imposed but what i am saying this this will create a problem for me in the attorney general's office so i can just say right now i will look at those cases and we will defend those that i think are appropriate and i will look at them and say well in my opinion do I want this man's or woman's blood on my hands? Do I want them executed with me being the plaintiff trying to put them in the electric chair or whatever means we have at that time? And if I say yes to myself and I can live with it in my conscience that, yes, this person is for somebody who should be executed for what they have done, then, you know, I'll, I'll represent them and I'll represent the state and oppose letting this murderer go. But you know, it still creates a problem for me because in principle I am against the death penalty. And what I'm doing there is I'm just saying, well, if I think it's okay, right. As the uh, attorney general, if it seems to me like it's the right thing to do, then I'll do it in that case.
0: I got you. I got you. Yeah. You're, you're not wrong about, uh, about the state being incompetent when it comes to that stuff. I follow the innocence project and man, too many people get executed that did not commit the crime that they were convicted of. It's really disheartening sometimes. And then sometimes you get that email in the morning where somebody got released and they got, they got the person off, which is great, but yeah.
1: yeah. It's I, would brutal. Not, I would not want to have the execution of an innocent person on my conscience. That would be yeah, just about the worst thing I can imagine as a lawyer.
0: I would have to agree with that. Um, not as a lawyer, just as a regular human. Sure absolutely. <laughs> Um, I, I suppose uh, your life would be a little bit easier once you're attorney general, if you had someone like Shane Hazel as governor.
1: Oh my God! Oh, you're <laughs> so right. What a team we would make! My
0: God. Oh man, a libertarian, two libertarians up at the top—that'd be fa- fantastic. Oh
1: man, you know, I'd spend a, one of the things. You know, if, if if somebody else was the attorney general, there's so many things that I, you know, I would be opposed to lockdowns, I'd be opposed to masks, I'd be opposed to vaccine mandates, you know, all of these terrible infringements of rights, which in Georgia, we frankly didn't have as bad as some other states Mm. and other countries. But you know, I spent a lot of time fighting over those things.
0: Mm.
1: If they happened, and I, I'm not sure those would come, but hopefully we won't go back to that. But
0: gosh, let's hope not.
1: those, Those are terrible precedents for freedom.
0: Yeah, I mean, if Abrams wins the governorship, we might be seeing some of that stuff again.
1: Well, I'd be inclined to move to Florida.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd probably get out and go to Montana where we just bought property. So
1: <laughs> well, good for you. That's exciting.
0: Yeah. Um, well, Martin, let's uh, let's take it to the personal side rather than talking shop. Um, what do you do when you're not laying down the law? Well, I um,
1: am. I'm actually going to the University of Georgia now. So I'm taking, uh, I'm in my fifth semester at the University of Georgia and I'm actually driving to Athens, uh, the summer break is so I'm not doing it the second, but I'm taking ancient Greek. And uh, so that's just been great fun. I've been actually studying ancient Greek for uh, close to a little over four years now, but I've had five, it'll be my fifth semester at the University of Georgia this fall. So that's been great fun. But it, not only do I study Greek uh, at the University of Georgia, so I'll be a triple dog. Uh, I have an international group uh, that's run by a guy from uh, Tel Aviv in Israel, and we're we're going through actually one of the textbooks that I've actually used, um, you know, going back and rereading it and translating it. And so he and I and others do that online. I did that tonight. I mean, I told you I had something from five to seven. And so I did my international Greek class via zoom, which is just great. And then I have another group, which is more local. And one, we have one guy in Alabama, which we've done for, I think we're well over four years now, but we're reading at the moment, we're reading Homer's odyssey in Greek and translating it. And we do that every Wednesday night at eight o'clock. And um, and then we have six, I think people in that. And so that's a great, great pleasure to me. Um,
0: Wow. Why Greek?
1: I, once I actually taught, Aristotle, in a Sunday school type environment, Mm -hmm. and uh, the translation I was reading said that the meaning of a certain word, kalos, which means beautiful, was mistranslated into the noble. And so, what the 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 statement is, the the good is the noble, and that you know that who knows what that means, right? But 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 if you translate that word correctly, the good is the beautiful. You know we. We can all understand and mostly agree on what the beautiful is. So, if you see a beautiful sunset, you know people don't doubt that that's beautiful. If you see a beautiful woman or a man, you don't doubt that he/she is beautiful. Uh, if you see a beautiful painting, I mean, there are a lot of beautiful paintings which I think are beautiful, and everybody does too because they they survive. Anyway, so if you if if virtue is beautiful, is the beautiful, what it means is the virtue is a and is an aesthetic experience. So when you see something that someone does, and you say, Oh, my God, that was a beautiful thing to do. You can understand what that means on a very visceral level. So my point is, is that ethics, thereby becomes clear Aristotle's ethics becomes clear, if you translate the word correctly. And because of that mistranslation, which is carried through everywhere. um, I decide except for the source that I had, I decided, well, I I need to, if I'm going to do philosophy, the greek philosophers i'm gonna to have to learn the greek because uh they're not getting it right <laughs> so that's how it started
0: interesting and do you know what the differences are between ancient greek and modern day greek
1: um not on a i mean i know generally and it's sort of like yeah. uh, old english versus modern english it's just very much like that the uh and the the pronunciations are different the spellings are different hmm. uh, a person that talks modern greek cannot read ancient
0: Greek.
1: There there are certain, you know, obviously there's relationships. The, 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 um, the alphabet is the same. There are many of the same words. Um, but it's sufficiently different that a modern Greek cannot do ancient Greek.
0: Interesting. Man, I, I struggle enough with English. I don't know. Adding in a second language would help me. (laughs) No, I would,
1: you know, I, I've always, I don't know. I, I started with French, for example, in junior high school, and I've literally been studying French for 50 years, and I actually taught high school French at one point, point. and so I'm still fascinated by French. So I have a I have a great interest in languages generally, um, and and um, I, and so you know I I I'm, I do like languages, and that's 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 one of my hobbies, and the other hobby I have, which uh, is a little more back in the work zone, is is I'm on the uh, Libertarian National Committee, as you know probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and, boy, is that such a great honor. I mean, I was picked by the libert- by the Mises Caucus for <laughs> God knows why. I mean, I, I wasn't doing anything, you know, suddenly they said, I mean, I, I'll tell you what happened. The reason I, I, I decided to run for it when I saw that our secretary was fired by the existing LNC, um, and I couldn't understand why she was fired. I mean, she is a, quite a vivid person, quite eclectic and quite interesting. She got more energy than anybody I know. Mm-hmm. And so I can understand why, you know, people might find her a little bit um, problematic, but, you know, I, I I couldn't believe they fired her. And so I said, well, that's it. I'm going to run against the guy that fired her. And he, and we obviously it was a majority vote, but the guy, one of the guys in the majority vote was the alternate from Georgia, uh, from region two, which includes Georgia. And so that day I announced I was going to run for the LNC because they had fired the, secretary mm-hmm. and uh you know so then the mises caucus got behind me and i was you know their chosen candidate and i didn't i don't think i may have had i didn't have any opposition straight up but the guy that lost against the primary guy dave benner who's the primary guy's great guy won and then the guy was running against him decided to run against me because he can you can shift down if you lose
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but i won and so i'm very happy to be up there I'm, it's a really great honor and i'm delighted uh, that the Mises caucus picked me to, um, take that position. And I've been kind of a live wire there, to be honest with you. I've, I kind of think of the game whack-a-mole and I'm the mole. (laughs) You know, I've had the, I've had a bunch of ideas, which I proposed to the LNC and they'll whack me on the head and say, Martin, not time, not time for that, not time for that.
0: What are your responsibilities, uh, with the LNC?
1: Well, we uh, meet uh, four times a year, and we're going to, we meet a lot of times on Zoom. Uh, but, we're, you know, at the end of the month in July, we're going to go up to Alexandria, Virginia, and have a meeting, uh, all day meeting on Saturday and all day meeting on Sunday. Uh, but the in person stuff, I think, is, I have not been to an in person thing except for the first one after the convention, which was mm-hmm. not spect- spectacular, but fun. Um, so we'll do that, and I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, Creating relationships and trying to um, figure out how to get some of my whack-a-mole ideas <laughs> uh, <laughs> out of the box. Um, so, you know, so I, I don't know. And, and as I say, I'm an alternate, so I don't get the vote unless Dave Benner's not there or he says I don't want to vote and passes it on to me. So I can do other things. Um, I can argue. I, I can debate. It's not like I can't debate, and I can propose ideas and ask somebody to, hey propose this just to give you an example the kind of thing I'm doing um star child who is one of our most <laughs> very vivid characters yep has always wanted to uh change the lnc headquarters is not big enough for us to meet in so we're going to headquarters alexander virginia to meet but we have to rent a hotel <laughs> because our headquarters is not big enough so I so said why don't we buy a bigger headquarters right and so that was one of my ideas and Starchild, you know said i've been for that forever so he's he was yeah. um, me but i i think that's one of those whack-a-mole ideas they say, no, martin we we have other more important things to do and i kind of agree with that you know we don't need to be buying buildings uh, you know we need to get freedom in our lifetime and if we have to rent a hotel to do it i'm all in favor of that
0: that's fair that's fair me and uh my roommate at the uh convention this year talked about um how we thought there should be a much bigger headquarters for the Libertarian National Party. Um, He he suggested uh, buying up like a a out of business mall where you could set up different shops inside. You could set up like dormitories and stuff like that for when you have conventions and stuff.
1: I think that's a great idea. My, my idea was sort of like that. I thought, you know, if you're, you know, you can get a church, you know, Mm. sort of, you don't have to be a mega church, but a big, biggest church, with, uh you know a lot of land where you have a lot of uh parking mm-hmm. and then obviously inside you'll have a uh, a community room you'll have the main sanctuary mary secondary sanctuary offices
0: mm-hmm. You know, so
1: if you got some church an out-of-business church um uh, that would be perfect because then you have all the meeting facilities you need it wouldn't be quite as big as a mall but perhaps it'd be more suitable for the purpose
0: yeah uh,
1: and i you know ch- churches are probably a on the decline not that i think that's a good thing but um and so i wouldn't be surprised if there are a bunch of church properties for sale and what are you going to do with it except you know something like this
0: yeah that does make sense might might be cheap (laughs) i like that yeah we also talked about having having the convention in the same spot each year and somewhere central where you're not flying all the way across the country to reno nevada and man that was an expensive trip
1: <laughs> oh it sure was i mean i uh yes i thought it was terribly expensive but on the other hand you know we had two I've, I've been to four national conventions and two of them were in orlando which of course for you and me is less than an eight hour drive
0: yeah that's and i drove
1: up. i mean i drove down there and um i love that but you know somebody some people live in alaska some people live in california so i i can see the sense of moving it about i dread and you know part of my duties at lnc is to appear four times a year this Mm -hmm. trip to washington is not too bad uh but it's expensive i mean i don't know eight hundred dollars for airfare round trip and
0: yeah especially right now
1: hotel four hundred dollars so i mean i they could do the same thing in new york and all that would be the same although the hotel would be more so you know it's going to be expensive it's going to be in the neighborhood of a thousand dollars or more for me per visit um and of course we're we're serving for free just volunteering our time and money so it's a four thousand dollar per year investment to be a member of the lnc
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but i'm honored i'm honored to be part of it
0: and that's that's kind of where the the third parties differentiate from the Republicans and Democrats is uh, we have to it's all voluntary. we all we all have to pay for everything that we do with the libertarian Party, and it, man, it's 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 why you don't get people doing this long term all the time. Like there are people like you who've been in it for a while, but man, I, I know of at least a few people already who have burned out within like five years,
1: oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a serious. I mean, I agree that's probably the number one problem. We have to figure out a way. To allow people to be burned out for a while, but then reignite them. Yes. When I ran my first Congress congressional race, I had a companion who was running for the state house, who was just a marvelous, marvelous guy. And I, you know, he and I would literally go door to door getting signatures together. And there was brutal. It's brutal doing that. I don't know if you ever done signature collection, but it's brutal. It's terrible. Anyway, so he he got burned out, you know, and he's gone. I mean, but he was a perfect candidate, perfect in every way, and yet he's burned out. But you know, he had a wife and two kids. I have a wife and two kids, but I'm retired. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's there's something there. Like, we just need to learn how to raise more money and get and just connect with more people over time, and not be shut out so so heavily by by the big parties. Um, well, uh, your campaign. What, uh, what can we expect from your campaign? Like, uh, are you going to visit any places around Georgia? What's, uh, I will a probably not
1: be going to, uh, I have been invited to go. For example, I was invited to go to Savannah for the, uh, AFL CIO meeting. I said, there are no votes for me at the AFL CIO. <laughs> um, so no, I'm probably not going to do a lot of traveling if there's an opportunity to participate in a candidate forum in another jurisdiction. I will do that. So I went to Cherokee County because they had a candidate for and they invited me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Ted Metz was there. Ted and I, I think, were the only Libertarian candidates there, uh, and my opponents did not show up. And uh, But that was fun. I mean, it was great to, you know, actually to address the crowd and to be asked questions. And, you know, I had about, I don't know, five questions, which was fun to answer. I, I did something in Union City where I was invited. I've got these two um, events uh, for the Atlanta Press Club and then the uh, uh, League of Women Voters in Marietta coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really, I'm not gonna go to any parades. I'm not gonna go to, um, I might, if there's a Libertarian parade, I might go to it. I missed I miss the July 4th parade because I was doing something else. But, you know, so I'm not gonna be uh, traveling a whole lot to um, get attention. I am spending a lot of time, every single day I'm writing letters to my colleagues on the Georgia Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, so every single day I am sending out a personal letter, literally typed it and it's handwritten, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sending to every every one of those people, and that's thousands. Wow. Um, and I, I will pro, and, and I've already sent I think 800 letters to the Board of Governors people, but I plan to do that a second time. Now it's hard to do it the first time because I have to type into the you know the I have to type the names in manually. The first time, the second time, I don't have to type the names in because I already typed in. (laughs) Um, And then I have a lot of donors and supporters from my congressional races. And so I'll be sending them letters. So my main communication method is by letter. And I will send at least two letters to 4,000-ish people uh, before the general election. But, you know, the letters is about all I'm going to do. I, you know, I've I've seen one Jen Jordan signed, which is funny. (laughs) <laughs> I have seen no Chris Carr signs. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they're doing with their $600,000. That could be mailing.
0: That's a good question because, like, I didn't even know who you were running against until yesterday when I was looking it up. Like, if they're not spending it on marketing and advertising, what what are they, like, where does that money go? I don't get right, it. I
1: guess we could look at their report and see what they spent money on, but.
0: Well, that's just no. what they say they spend money on.
1: so i don't know i mean you know it's it's an interesting problem i mean it's really baffling i mean to have your opponents getting six hundred thousand dollars and you get you know pennies it's really amazing
0: yeah well martin um we're gonna wrap it up here but one last question why should people vote for you
1: we are on the brink of fascism nationally and, uh, you know, we, we are ruled by corporations, which is my definition, one of the features of fascism that the corporations and the state are bound together at the hip and they act in concert. And that's definitely happening on the national level. I don't think we have that problem in Georgia yet, but uh, we have very serious influence by corporations that wanna make our lives more expensive and more difficult and the only person who's not a true believer in that system, and I'm not accusing them of any wrongdoing. I don't think they're wrongdoers. I think they're ethical people. They just have the wrong ethics. Mm. They have the wrong ethics. They're true believers in our system of government control by corporations and enforcing laws which are passed by legislature at the behest of wealthy donors. You know They don't see it that way. They think that the legislature is doing their best. I don't think they're doing their best. That's the difference. I see the truth. They're true believers. They don't see the truth.
0: Awesome. Well, y'all heard it. Vote Martin Cowan for Attorney General in November. I believe November 6th is... November
1: is the, the 8th. Tuesday, 8th. November the
0: 8th. I've been saying the wrong date for the last two No weeks. worries.
1: <laughs> it's always on the second. I think it's on the second Tuesday or it's on the...
0: Yeah, that would be the second on Tuesday. On the Tuesday
1: following the first Monday, or so, I don't know, whatever.
0: Whatever the rule is. <laughs> on the second
1: Monday. Tuesday well, following the second Monday, whatever it is. <laughs> but it's the 8th, I know that.
0: All right. Well, Martin, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, sir. I appreciate it so much.
0: Absolutely. Do you have anything you want to plug before we hang up?
1: Martin Cowan for georgia.com You can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at MLCowan. Um, while I am on Facebook, it's only a personal page, so not very interesting
0: all right and if you have any interest in joining the lp or donating to the lp lp georgia or to martin's campaign um visit lpgeorgia.com and you can find all of the information you need there um that's it this has been the free georgia podcast we'll see you next week